Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. <laughs> Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission in order to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and unhinged. Welcome <laughs> to A Special Place in Hell, and welcome, Greg Lukianoff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. As and, our and I finally got to meet both of you in person for the first time in yes. my life. Yes. And now, thank yeah. God, you're meeting us virtually. To get that taste <laughs> out of your mouth. Yeah, we were just together in uh, Los Angeles yeah. mm -hmm. for the big free press debate. And uh, you are, um, as most of our audience knows, but in case anybody doesn't, you are the uh, president and CEO of FIRE Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which just co-sponsored with the free press this debate about the sexual revolution. But we're really here to talk about your new book. So this you is the hold first it up? time. Look I am that. touching it with my own hands. The, like, wow. not, not, not a galley copy. The actual no. book feels good. And, and Height and I were always like really, um, with coddling, we always wanted to make sure the font was big enough because ease of readability. Because you know, old people important. are, you know, hate, yeah. hate the hate cancel culture. Exactly. Always, so. so this is, this is the book and it's with my absolutely brilliant co-author, Ricky Schlott, uh, 23 year old Wunderkind. Um, yeah. Gotta hear and, about her. 23 year old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And a book. That's that's messed up. That's <laughs> Sarah, you look like you're 23. I, what, 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 I guess that's I find... okay. If I look well, like I'm 23, that's fine. Sarah's never going to write exactly. a book, though. She's she knows better. The, the I, I really was I, I, I actually even mentioned uh, you. I did the um, uh, what's his name? Lex Friedman podcast. Um, oh, it's amazing. You're you're you actually made it. It wasn't. It, did it go 12 hours or uh, it was not still it, there? It, it, it was five hours. And, and I, I mentioned meeting you and I was like, I didn't realize Sarah Hader looks like a model. But you, oh. you, you look you, you look like a kid, though. I mean, like the so like a yeah. baby model, like a gap, like a baby gap. Yeah. Model. Sure. My, my, uh, my co-author is uh, 23 and she's absolutely freaking brilliant. And I, I feel very lucky to have gotten to write with her. And uh, I actually first met her when she was 19. And she's one of these people who can uh, she dropped out of NYU during COVID because she mm. what's the point of going to school? During COVID, yeah. Yeah. totally yeah. right. She yeah. read Coddling the American Mind, thought we were entirely right about what was going on with her generation. And she was such a brilliant writer. We brought her on as a fellow at fire mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and she worked for us for, for about a year. And I just realized, you know, it, it would be great to do a follow up to coddling the American mind with a Gen Z young woman because so much of coddling the American mind was about Gen Z young women. Mm -hmm. But in the process of, of, of thinking it through, I, you know, was, I was on the Twitters sometimes. Um, and people were still saying cancel culture isn't even real. And I'm like, okay, no, this, I'm sick of this. This is ridiculous. I work on campus. It's not just real. It's something on a historic scale, unlike has been seen in the modern era of academic freedom. Like there's no comparison to the number of professors who've been fired um, mm -hmm. since, since it began. So we decided to get together and write a book. And it turned out we made a fabulous team because, you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy overwriter. Like I, you know, if someone can ask me like a, for, for a 20 word piece and I give them 50,000, um, mm -hmm. and I need someone to boil me down. Um, Height makes fun of me for this too. And, um, yeah, she was just absolutely fabulous to work with. 
So I love this book. And I mean, it really gets to the heart of this thing that frustrates me so much. And I'm sure you as well about this whole question is like, I feel like I'm constantly having these conversations with people and they're like, well, cancel culture doesn't exist because look at all these people that were canceled and they're still around. They're still alive. And, and it's if they only think about celebrities or, you know, kind of prominent academics. And the fact is like, there's all, all these people have been canceled. And the reason that you can't think of any is because they've been disappeared. They have been canceled. <laughs> right. And it's like this very obvious thing that eludes a lot of people. So I'm curious, like, how often did that come up? How often did you find yourself in that conversation with people? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I don't particularly like the term cancel culture. No. Neither does Ricky. Um, But we watched this debate on, uh, like, on social media. um, And clearly something began happening in 2014 that wasn't the least bit subtle. It got the name cancel culture. And when we started uh, looking into the polling, black, white, Liberal conservative Americans know the term. That's this what they, they understand what happens as being as cancel culture, and they're terrified of being canceled. Um, like that comes out in poll after poll. So if we tried to, if we decided it's like we're going to come up with a more academic way of referring to this, we would, uh, it, I don't know, maybe to make Jason Stanley happy or something like that. We're never going to make Michael Hobbs happy. You know, like he, he, he's, he's staked he's his entire. He's impervious to happiness. He, he, he has staked his entire career on this not being real, which is cute. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, we'd be leaving 90% of America out of the conversation. And so I have a very straightforward definition of cancel culture, which is just the uptick in campaigns to get people fired, expelled, deplatformed, or otherwise punished, um, beginning around uh, 2014 for speech that would uh, be protected under the First Amendment. We say would be um, because we're, we're also talking about the private sphere, but we're making analogies from, say, uh, American employment law. Um, the thing that you couldn't fire at a, you know, at a school teacher for saying, you know, and it, you, you lose your job, you know, um, uh, in, at, a, at a normal corporation. And then also the, the climate of fear that uh, results from it. And, and, and you'll notice that it's not a political definition. Like we're, we're, we're not saying from the left, um, because actually we, we absolutely, and of course the other retorts like, well, you know, cancel culture exists on the right too. I'm like, yeah, we have chapters on it <laughs> like in the book. It's like, of course it exists on the right as well. Um, but in a lot of the, in a lot of the, um, uh, industries that we talk about, particularly academia, of course, that's a left dominated space. Um, and, you know, we, we, we take, we take on both sides, but when it comes to so much of this being focalized in academia, yeah, it, 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 it a lot, a lot more do, does come from the left, but a substantial portion does come from the right as well. Yeah. What do you think about this idea that you can only be canceled by your own side? Because that's something that I've been saying for a long time, but maybe that's too limiting. Does that come from you? Well, I don't know if I made it up, but I think it's, I think it's hard. I think people sort of forget that like, well, oh, you know, why are you complaining that, you know, woke people are canceling you and like the right does this all the time. But the fact is, if you're on the left and somebody Glenn Beck goes after you, for instance, then that's only that's increases your currency. Right. Um, But again, I think that's one of those sort of obvious things that people overlook. I tend to think it's true largely. Um, but I've also definitely seen situations where, you know, uh, someone says something that makes them immediately puts a target on their back. And a big part of the approach that we talk about in cancel culture is, is just, you know, find some way to ruin that person's life to make sure that they don't make a living again, all this kind of stuff. So like, you know, you, 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 
there are cases where the side that canceled you was your employer. You know, it might not be all that political, but you, you, you still lost your career. So I think there's some truth to it. Um, meanwhile, I think that's one of the reasons why so many of us like in this space, like don't really seem to have a side anymore. We all feel like orphans because, you know, I, I point out in the book that when people were first pointing out like how bad it was on campus in, in, in the eighties and nineties, it was overwhelmingly conservatives making this point. When this second round uh, that, that I refer to in the book as the second great age of political correctness, when cancel culture really started going in, in 2014, um, the the people rising up to say, wait, wait, what's going on here? Overwhelmingly on the left, um, people saying this. Um, and But because of the dumb way we, we argue, um, and I call this the perfect rhetorical fortress on the left, all you have to do was say, bing, Megan, you're a right winger now. Bing, Greg, you're a right winger. Sarah, bing, you know, and, and suddenly we don't count because apparently educated adults, and I was absolutely guilty of this as well, uh, particularly when I was in law school, that if you can um, claim something is conservative, you don't have to think about it anymore. And yeah. and if that tactic becomes effective, the next thing you know, we're living in a world like we are right now where, where people are, you know, uh, tactically referring to the New York Times and the ACLU as conservative to get people to not take them seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that work? Because like, I feel like I have because friends. Because we're children. Right. But I, it seems to work. I have friends who are on the right. I don't feel that I get dismissed in the same way, maybe because I'm coded. They know me as, you know, a, like a liberal, like in their minds and they tolerate me anyway. But why is it that it, I mean, maybe it just feels that way to me that I feel like they will say, okay, she's a, She's a liberal, she's a leftist, whatever, but it's fine. Let's consider the argument anyway. Yeah. Why does the, you know, the label work so well the other way around? Yeah, I definitely do think that in deeper red areas, being lab labeled a liberal or a lefty yeah. will get you. We, we, we count that as part of the, the efficient rhetorical fortress. So basically, we, you know, one of the things we have some fun talking about in the book is trying to get people to think of cancel culture as a way of winning arguments without winning arguments. Um, that essentially like why disprove the other side when you can just scare them half to death to ever actually say their opinion. Mm -hmm. turns out it's very effective. But we try to situate cancel culture as being part of a larger sort of um, half-conscious rhetorical strategy for avoiding the argument someone is making um, to run down the clock so that you never actually have to address it. And so we break this up into what we call um, the, the obstacle course, which is basically all the normal kind of like rhetorical dodges that everyone uses. Um, and then the minefield, which is more the ad hominem stuff that both right and left uses, uh, like all the time. Like, you know, everyone calls each other grifter now, you know, which is just a classic. Would that we could be grifters. <laughs> you know, do you have to actually make money to be a grifter? I I'm aspiring. I, yeah. I, I, I love the, the, the grifter accusation, particularly to people like, you know, like, like constitutional lawyers. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like, I remember I, we mentioned this being directed at David French and I'm like, okay. Yeah. David French graduated from Harvard in the mid nineties. I graduated from Stanford during the tech boom, you know, and we both decided to go into nonprofits. Yeah, <laughs> so, like Sarah. Sarah's yeah, yeah, like I, I remember yes. when it was coming at me too. I was like, I, I don't know why I would do this of all things if I, <laughs> if I wanted to grift. I, I seem to be avoiding making money with the best of my ability. Yes. Uh, the, uh, so, so, 
uh, and, and those are just the ones that both sides use. But then as you get into the left and, and to the right, oh, actually on that one is just, just making up stuff, um, because both sides do this. And, and that example, we use, uh, Je- Jesse Singal as someone who people, they just make it's up stuff. Crazy what they do to him. I mean, I, I'm glad you, you, you cited some examples in your book and it's just astonishing. Just the, just flat out lies. Like, it's like speculative fiction. And that's not even fiction. It's like beyond fiction, what's said about Jesse. It's it's completely insane. But then we get to the perfect rhetorical fortress and the efficient rhetorical fortress. And the perfect rhetorical fortress uh, is the one on the left. And that's the one that since it's become uh, – it, it was developed on campus largely, it's just – like it's just layer after layer of different ways of of getting out of uh, of discussions, and of course the first level is if you call someone conservative, even if they're not, you don't have to think about them anymore, and that one's really effective. Um, but then it's just you know I think we have fourteen more layers after that, and we take the reader through this long demographic funnel. Um, where we're, you know, people can be dismissed for being white. They can be dismissed for being male. They can be dismissed for being straight. They can be dismissed for being cis. And I had some fun going through the demographics there and, and to work out that kind of like, okay, at this stage, you are at 0.4% of the population. You've, you've, you've been able to dismiss all but about 0.4% of the population in the United States. And guess what? If you are in that 0.4%, you'll still be dismissed. This whole exercise was just to run down the clock because it actually turns out if you have the wrong opinion, it doesn't matter what your identity is, which reveals the fact that this is more about protecting dogma um, than it is actually about, um, about you know, hel- helping the less powerful. And the most fun part of doing that research was talking to every black conservative author that I know pretty well and, and a lot of moderates as well. Uh, and this includes John McWhorter. This includes uh, Wilford Riley. This includes um, Coleman Hughes and asking them, have you ever been told you weren't really black um, for an opinion you had? Every single one of them is like, Oh yeah. And, and of course, a lot of times it's a white dude uh, or, or, or woman telling them they're, they're, they're not really black for an opinion. And this is another moment of being like, oh, man, this is perfect. Like Col- Coleman says something. I'm constantly being told that uh, my racial identity is the most important thing for me to be cred- uh, credible. But then when I have a dissenting opinion, I'm told I'm not really black. So, ta-da, it's perfect. It cannot be defeated. And then it just, you know, that list keeps on going. On the right, yeah, you can dismiss liberals, experts, journalists, and if you're really in deep, anyone who's critical of Trump, um, which the funny thing on that is people are surprised. By orders of magnitude, the most hate mail fire, get, uh, sorry, not fire, I get um, for coddling in the American mind is actually from Trump supporters because they thought we were too hard on Trump about the Charlotte, his handling of Charlottesville. So they expect you to be sort of conservative. Like, why would they be disenchanted? They're just, uh, that's interesting. I think you're asking for logic. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, you know, as you describe all this, and I think it resonates with everybody, we know exactly what you're talking about. But I'm curious if you could speak more about like, what is the what is the origin of this? Like, I always say, like, who is they? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that this actually connects with, you know, you, you talk about these different eras, you talk about the first great age of political correctness, which was 1985 to 1995, which is exactly when I was in college. And I remember that. And I'm very curious to talk with you about that. And then we have the ignored years, 1995 to 2013. And and around 2014 is when this all really starts. But like, who who is pulling the strings here? 
I don't know. There necessarily has to be people. Well, okay. The way we talk about it in the book um, is the free speech movement began in 1964 in Berkeley and the anti-free speech movement began in 1965 um, in, I think it was UC Santa Barbara or Brandeis. And this name gets thrown a lot about, uh, 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 um, but it was partially because he was, you know, considered the guru of the new left, Herbert Marcuse. He, he wrote a book called uh, Repressive Tolerance. Um, I went back and, you know, reread it for the first time in ages and forgot that he's very straightforward about um uh, free speech is, it, it, uh, is, is good, but we have to make sure that, um, uh, free speech is not given to so-called conservatives and, and, and the masses of, of, of right-wingers who are out there, uh, because they're regressive. And it, it and it's this, it's kind of funny. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how people continue to take this person seriously as a thinker when it's like, but good people should have free speech, and those same good people should stop the free speech of the bad people. It's not. It's, it's morally a good guy no with a gun. Yeah, it's it's morally no no more you know sophisticated than that. He also was a big fan of Mao, um, which I thought, which I thought, which you would think would be uh, would have you dismissed, but of course, you know, the tankies are back with a vengeance. Um, and so th- that was one of the first seeds of basically saying um, on the left that although the kind of left that I grew up with. Uh, free speech was synonymous with being on the left. It was the same damn thing um, to most, you know, non-rich kids in the 1980s who considered themselves left of center. Um, and I do stress the non-rich kids. I, I learned more when I got to places like Stanford that I'm like, oh, some of you rich kids actually like really thought uh, Lenin, for example, and Stalin were not so bad. Uh, anyway, um, but it started getting taken up um, by people like, Richard Delgado, uh, Mary Matsuda, the people who had found critical race theory. Now, this, and this is, leads to something kind of funny. Fire, yeah, Chris Rufo, um, uh, is a conservative activist. He hates our guts, um, because he started advocating for laws to be passed, um, across the country that banned critical race theory. And he, uh, you know, supported the Stop Woke Act, which got uh, passed in Florida. And we were like, that is laughably unconstitutional. You can't tell. In K through 12, you can set curriculum. That's a different thing. But in higher ed, this is not a close call. We will sue this. This will get laughed out of court. And of course, we sued and it got laughed out of court. Um, so we defeated that version of the Stop Woke Act. They're trying again with one applying to higher ed. We're going to sue again and we're going to win again. Um, but at the same time, He's going after CRT, and then it leads people on, uh, um, even uh, people uh, like Anthony Romero uh, from the ACLU said something, you know, about standing up for CRT recently. And I'm like, okay, I'm with you if you're saying you can't ban people teaching it. But every time a free speech advocate brings up CRT, they need to mention that the very first project uh, that, the, that when all of these thinkers got together did was pass speech codes and make rationales for limiting speech for actually ha- that, that an enlightened society would actually reject, you know, small L liberal values in a variety of ways. First and foremost, speech, but not just speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wrote a bunch of terrible books about or articles in books and chapters in books about hate speech and words that that wound and all all kinds of things. I remember uh, coming across it uh, when I was first looking up, you know, a good, strong argument against free speech. And, you know, um, I failed to find one. (laughs) That's so wonderful. Yeah. um, I I debated Richard Delgado back in 2003, and it was... um, was 
he didn't really have an argument. Like it, it was, it was like a great disappointment. He also scolded me several times during the debate for, um, uh, because he didn't like the way I was talking, um, that, that I, uh, that essentially I sounded like too dismissive or something like that or too, and I'm kind of like, Found hold on. So yeah, you yeah, want really. to be in you, 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 people like you, you think should be in charge of freedom of speech, but you also demand that everyone be as polite to you as possible. It was, it, it, it was so strange. But and a I, snowflake. And I, and I addressed in the talk, this was, we did a debate at Williams in 2003. I addressed in the talk how dumb the argument is that the, um, oh, actually, I think this is one of me saying this was a dumb argument before he, before he got the chance to make it, that, um, speech, uh, hate speech codes would have stopped the Nazis. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, where to even begin with this dumb idea? Um, and right. one of them, but one of the things I didn't know as much back then is that actually you could get in trouble for saying hate speech, for, for be saying anti-Semitic things in the night in, in Weimar Germany. Nazis went to jail for saying anti-Semitic things. And then of course they had rallies, you know, um, celebrating the fact that they, been censored it made them uh, appear like all that all that more 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 threatening and powerful they use they, that to they, their advantage yeah in a in a brilliant way there's all these campaigns you can find posters of 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 hitler with like a little you know cross in his mouth on his mouth oh and they're like why do, wh the, the, why don't they want you to hear about him, hear, hear what this man has to say and it's just yeah. it was very good propaganda it was in the, ori the original intellectual dark web <laughs> it was of two billion people in the world which is always like oh two billion that's cute um yeah. uh, only one man cannot speak uh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah and it's and they used it to make um you know hitler they, they to try to make oh him look gosh. better and then they Imagine gave you it on a podcast <laughs> Hitler, the Hitler podcast, It'd blow us all out of the water. He wasn't a bright man. Anyway, that that that's a whole nother whole, whole nother thing. J Jane Coaston and I on um on Twitter like to spend a lot of time just pointing out that by the way, in addition to being some of the most evil people in history, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, not bright people. No, <laughs> like like the, so, so, like the whole color of cult of genius around them. I mean, Hitler in particular, like he, he got his country, he, he, the, the speed with which he turned his country into a sin, like a, a cinder, <laughs> like, 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 a, like, a, like, like, made it look like the surface of the moon. Uh, and like, it took him like 15 years to completely destroy his own country. Well, you have some really compelling, memorable examples in the book of people being canceled, academics and others. What are your favorite stories or the ones that stick out in your mind the most? The Stanford Law one, um, just I, I raised my blood pressure to revisit that one. But which are your biggest I have anxiety producers? Favorite ones and ones that break my heart the most. You know, like it, there's definitely a range of ones that um, oh, and I should say I got super depressed writing this book. Like I, I, I was very open in coddling the American mind that what led me to CBT was being hospitalized as a danger to myself. Right. Um, and I, I explain a little bit more, um, and I have been explaining a little bit more lately that what I didn't say as much there was that this was 2007 and I got a sort of a preview of what it was like to be in the culture world at the time. And I was you know, I, I, you know, dating was terrible in this way. Like sometimes going to bars, like I, like I, I nearly got in fistfights with conservatives over some cases. And like a girl that I was dating told me when I said that, like, listen, I'm a free speech guy. I, I, I believe in defending Nazis. I'm certainly going to defend Republicans. And actually responded that I think Republicans may be worse. Wait, this was in 2007. This is in 2007. <laughs> and and since I was. Ago. 
if you since only I was know, the, you knew how good you had it since, since i was the president of fire you know like i it was i was in this in a way that everybody else who got you know had their breakdowns later you know I, i'm just glad i got mine out of the way um but it's it, it's exhausting to be in this but i've been mostly you know in pretty good mental shape until i started writing this book and i'm like oh god why am I doing this to myself? Like the, I, I, you know, I already have a target on my back because of coddling the American mind. You know, overwhelmingly people who haven't read it thinks it says it, things that it actually doesn't. But, you know, I'm writing stories about people who killed themselves, people who had their kids targeted, people who as soon as like they, they were known um, for having bad opinions, people will just find shit on you maybe from like decades ago to, to try to try to get rid of you. It's such a, you know, a nasty um, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a nasty environment. Um, the thing that started making me feel a little bit better was telling my staff how much this was depressing me and then actually going to a conference called Dialogue where, uh, right, left, and center, um, everybody was like, oh yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm glad you are taking on cancel culture. I don't want to, but I'm glad, like, it, I think that maybe people are ready to hear this. Obviously, some people won't be. So in terms of stories that are in there, we have a whole chapter on Stanford. Um, I'm a, I went to Stanford for law school. I was very disappointed at my own school. Um, I watch people debate this on, uh, on, on, on X, whatever we're supposed to call it now. And it, the only way you can defend it is to be completely dishonest about it. Um, because it starts as, so Kyle Duncan is a Trump appointee. He's a conservative. I don't agree with him on, on, on his decisions, but he's also a fifth circuit judge. And I, and I say that. Because that's one step below the Supreme Court. It's a big deal to be a Fifth Circuit uh, judge. Um, he's invited to sp uh, to speak at Stanford by the Federal Society. Federal so uh, the opponents of the Federal Society, you know, they try to get him just uh, deplatformed. They try to get it shut down. They start meeting with the administration, including uh, an administrator named Tyrion Steinbach, uh, pretty regularly. Um, and the day of the speech, you know, as he's coming in, there's like this massive crowd, you know, some students, and this is on tape, you know, yell at him, you know, I hope your daughters get raped. Um, and so, and then there's like a 10 minute shout down in the class. Then, uh, an administrator who he hasn't seen, you know, comes up who, and the, he only came to Stanford on the explanation that if, th if something like that happened, an administrator would immediately come up and, and give them one warning and then ask them to leave. That didn't happen. So people made a lot out of the fact that when the administrator finally came up, that he didn't know who she was. Um, and it's like, well, no, of course he didn't know who she was. They hadn't met. And furthermore, he would have been like, well, where were you then? Like, you, you were supposed to actually be asking these and people. And there was to, some, like, racial component going on as well, well right? People started shouting. It's like, um, that, uh, you know, don't talk like that to a black woman. And it's like, no, she's an administrator who was supposed to be shutting this down she but, hadn't but, introduced not, herself yeah, right. so basically he her. did he was kind of looking for help and by the way this happened this year this correct? year this happened yeah, yeah. in march of 2023 so he was looking around like where is the administrator and he had not been introduced to her and yeah. then suddenly it's identified that she is this woman who happens to be black and the fact that he didn't know who she was makes him a racist and, and she gets up and she unfolds a speech um, that she has, uh, and she gives a speech about is the juice worth the squeeze is the, the term that she <laughs> uses. Lovely. And she's referring to freedom of speech. Like, is there any, and she's talking about, is there anything so important that you could tell, um, uh, t tell this class that's, that, that justifies all the pain? 
you're causing. And it's kind of like, okay, conservatives have spoken at Stanford Law School as long as there's been a Stanford Law School. And it's been fine. Um, the idea that him being there was actually the, the major, major problem is, is, was kind of laughable. Um, and she gives a speech for seven minutes. She even talks about how, um, uh, that she praises the students by saying, you know, for their bravery and all this kinds of bravery. It's like, this is a very popular position at Stanford. They're one fifth of the classes there. Like, this isn't bravery. This is groupthink. Um, and when, um, uh, so she reads this and towards the end, she, she, uh, mentioned something about you're getting such a good training at Stanford that you'll be so well educated that maybe you could challenge our speech policies one day, you know, is, is, is her point. Like, it's like, you know, good. We're training the next generation of people who will justify censorship. Terrific. And so we're now set like almost 20 minutes into what the talk was supposed to be when she finally, you know, um, gets down. She was shouted down for 10 minutes. An administrator took over a Fifth Circuit judge's talk for seven minutes. And then they just uh, continue heckling him. They let him get some, you know, they, they let him actually answer some questions for maybe like 20 minutes. And then, you know, he has to be escorted out. And I'm watching people react to this. I watched Jennifer Rubin, you know, like who's, who's the American Association of University Professors, you know, cheer on the students for uh, standing up for trans rights, which they, I don't even know where to be on with that. Um, the, I watched uh, a couple people who, who um, I'd normally respect on a lot of this kind of stuff. The, the main thing they were saying was, well, he, he got really angry at those students. And right. it's kind of like, okay, they said, I hope your daughters get raped. Um, there was someone in the front shouting, um, I, you know, I, 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 I fuck men. I can find the prostate. Why can't you find the clit? Like, it, it, these it, were it, law students. These are law students. But the one that got to me the most, because I, 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 I definitely still have a class chip on my shoulder, um, is that you don't, it is when they, uh, he, uh, that people started shouting things kind of like, you never would have gotten in here. You know, you never would have gotten into our school. And I'm like, oh, don't be the elitist dicks kind of like that they all think we are anyway. So yeah, that case was crazy. Um, uh, it, it was, and I watched, there's a, there's one person on, on X who's constantly saying, you know, fire is a, doesn't believe in freedom of speech because, because they did, they, they celebrated the, the, um, uh, the firing of Tyrion Steinbach. And I was like, well, one, we didn't actually celebrate the firing of it, but we, but definitely, um, we didn't even call for her to be fired, but is it appropriate that she was fired? Of course it was because she was on the wrong side of freedom of speech. She, she made, made an environment in which she, best I can tell, the administrators worked with the students that it, it led to, if she I set the whole down. thing up. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a setup. It does. It sounds, and, and you know, and, and that's exactly what he said. I mean, the, the, the fact that she came with a pre-written speech. Um, <laughs> it's a little so bit it, of a giveaway. Yeah. At least in this case, the um, uh, 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 dean, um, uh, dean Jenny Martinez, actually did, you know, write a ten-page letter explaining kind of remedial academic freedom and free speech to the students. They're still furious. They still think they were the ones who were wronged. It's just a very embarrassing thing for. For Stanford, and yeah, it's incredible. amazing that the, the the they're saying all these horrible things. This guy's feelings don't matter. You know, they're opposite. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to them, and that's okay. But uh, the other way around, they will simply fall to pieces. I mean, you covered it so well in in coddling already that it is that that's what's happening. That these uh, young people don't know how to deal with 
opposing ideas. They don't know how to handle and process their own emotions. And that's what growth is. That's what happens when your cherished ideas are challenged in, you know, uh, especially if they are challenged directly. That's what happened to me. I mean, I'm a very public, you know, ex-Muslim. I talk about my experience of, of, of leaving religion and it was a terrible time. It did not feel yeah. good to be challenged like that. But I think, you know, I, I, it, that's what growth is all about. You have to learn to revel in it and to enjoy it uh, and to see the, see that this is the, this is what growth takes. And this is what, this is you getting better. And I, I that's also why I love that fire is sponsoring debates. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something that you guys are going to continue to do? Is this the first of many? This is something that we, we actually did in, uh, in the past as well. Um, we uh, wanted to, you know, promote free speech and free speech culture by hosting debates um, and and hosting really well done debates. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I think it might it might have been as many as ten years ago. The first one we did was at Texas A and M, and it was a debate about whether or not athletes should be paid. And mm. and we we lucked out. We got someone from ESPN, whether or not college athletes should be paid. Um, we, someone from ESPN to debate someone from the NCAA, which. Beyond wow. our wildest dreams actually, actually get this. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. People came. They had a great time, kind of like, you know, and it was a nice meaty one. There were a lot of zingers. Um, and so we did a couple, a couple more like that, but then we stopped hosting those when it's a, a number of other groups, um, you know, started being formed. Uh, like I, I think Braver Angels was, uh, was one of them. Bridge USA, a couple of other ones that host debates. And we're like, okay, we, we feel like we proved, uh, you know, it was a proof of concept. But mm -hmm. when, uh, Barry came to us about wanting to do an event and, and, and it was her idea to do a debate, we were like, yes, actually, we, we, we love that. And it being about the sexual revolution, um, it, you know, something nice and spicy, but at the same time, kind of like something people can have some real fun with, get some, you know, great brains out there. And I, I loved it. I, I Barry, by the way, is a killer moderator. Um, she I thought did a good job. I thought you were amazing, Sarah. I thought Grimes, you know, that was, I, I, I didn't know who Grimes was. Um, uh, and I thought she sounded very smart. Um, the, uh, I just knew she was a celebrity and I tend to, you know, it's like celebrities. Um, so I, I, I was, I was impressed with her. Um, the person from Red Scare who everyone thought I knew, but was really great too. Um, Anna Kachin. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then there was Laura. Louise Perry. Louise Perry. Um, I, and I thought it was terrific. I, and I actually, you know, that some of the people are with had a little bit like, well, it seemed like they kind of switched sides here and there. And I'm like, eh, you know, I, I thought it was kind of fun that, that Grimes at one point probably made one of the best arguments um, for uh, that. Actually, maybe there were downsides to the sexual revolution and she made a, made actually the point really well. And that was not the side she was supposed to be on. Uh, meanwhile, the, um, Anna, uh, it, it, she, she, you know, um, uh, really clearly said, well, obviously, like the sexual revolution wasn't a failure. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but ultimately the, the, you know, the, the correct side, um, uh, the, the, at least as far as I'm concerned, it, uh, one, um, that, cause, you know, the sexual revolution wasn't a failure. It does everything have pluses and minuses? Yes, of, of course it does. But I thought it was a really meaty discussion. Oh, but then we got written up about it. So yeah, I was going to ask you. So there were a couple of pieces, uh, notably in the Los Angeles Times. There was a write up by uh, Lorraine Ali, who is the television critic. I'm not sure why she was covering this event, but um, the piece was notable at many levels, not least of all because her characterization of fire mm -hmm. was like entirely backwards. 
Um, and so the I'm actual quote is yes, that, please. Um, that claims to protect freedom of speech, but um, it d- doesn't protect the free speech rights of people um, that they don't agree with. And it's like. Just don't. She's confusing it with the ACLU. Clearly, she's just confusing. <laughs> Did you Google once? Uh, and, and like the, it was one of these things where I, it, a previous version of me would have done a like a seventy tweet long tweet thread. You know, just being kind of like, here we are on this side of Israel Palestine. Boom, 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 boom. Here we are another 20 times on the other side of that. Boom, 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 boom. Here we are on abortion. Boom, boom, boom. Because we've been, we've defended both sides of every major radioactive debate. And, and recently, I mean, like today, to, uh, our lawsuit today was defending animal rights activists. We, we, we have a, um, uh, we have a lawsuit defending, uh, a, a drag show in, in Texas, you know, the, the, we defeated the Stop Woke Act, kind of like the, and yeah, and we defend conservatives too. And, but that's one of those things where it's kind of like, okay, so first of all, you know, here are the following 50 examples of why y- you trying to engage in this little thing where you're basically calling us right wing, which means, boom, well, let's not have to think about them anymore, which was so easily disproved. I'm like, okay, well, that's actually a tactic that we talk about in the book. Um, and, but I, I'm, I haven't seen it done quite that extraordinarily lazily. Um, and then I always want to introduce people to the following 500 cases that aren't all that political that the media never pays attention to because they're not necessarily clearly left or right coded. And and, and we see cases like this all the time where it's just it, it it's just somebody, you know, trying to do uh, trying to hand out flyers, you know, like in the park. Um, and it doesn't get any uh, it, it doesn't get any pickup in the media because they can't like, well, this is a right wing case or a left wing case. Um, and then talk about some of the right wing cases and be like, and by the way, you should also care when your when your opponent gets in trouble. Um, and particularly if you're a journalist, for goodness sakes, um, you sh- you should care that yeah, people on the right get in trouble, and that is a free speech issue that you should say- take seriously too. Did you ask for a correction, or have you had? Any oh, we did. Yeah, we, with the LA Times, we 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 asked for uh, uh, we said it was just you know uh, easily provably false. Um, and we haven't heard anything back. And I, I'm, I'm frankly kind of disappointed. I don't, Lorraine Ali, I don't, you know, doesn't matter. Um, I did expect better at the LA Times because we, we have actually have seen, you know, some, at least over the years, you know, some really good op-eds here and there, some really good even staff editorials about freedom yeah, speech. Yeah, it's been a, there have fallen on very difficult times. I mean, Lorraine Alley is very interesting because she actually wrote a good column about Meg Smaker's documentary, um, Jihad Rehab, which got oh. renamed to the, the, the Unredacted. So this was yep. this documentary about, um, uh, some guys who had been in Guantanamo and it was a, a they were, they were, you know, Al Qaeda. They were, they were, um, they were in a rehabilitation center in Saudi Arabia. Anyway, it's very complicated. I'm not going to do justice, but you know, she had had a screening with Fair, and Barry had actually interviewed her in an event. And so, what happens is that film had gotten canceled by a bunch of um, Muslim American filmmakers at Sundance because she Meg's maker was a white woman who was making a film about. Um, Muslim men, and uh, anyway, it was a whole they didn't thing. Even have a problem with no, like, there was so many of them could they hadn't seen the video or they couldn't. No, point none to of the, the with film the, was the, not with seeable. the film, right? They just were assumed. Anyway, but the, the point is that Lorraine Alley, um, who writes about Muslim issues, uh, wrote a, a very sympathetic column uh, to Meg uh, about about the film, and so I was really surprised when I saw this write up. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't know anything about her, um, and I just 
couldn't. It was one of those things where it's like we we have accusations hurled at us sometimes, but n- rarely one that is so lazy. Uh, she got pretty ratioed though. So uh, why I mean, I why didn't, didn't you post the fifty tweet response? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you do it? Yeah, uh, just because it's so easy to actually look it up on your own. I mean, like, because I, I, I'm, yeah. try, I'm trying not to give people who don't show any time or respect a lot of my time and respect. It's not your job to educate them. Um, I am planning to do a, um, and I, I, I say this with great regret, I have been sort of talked into doing a Substack as a way of um, getting the word out more about um, some some of Fire's work. So I used to have a platform, believe it or not. My old platform used to be the Huffington Post, and I could post things directly to to, to the HuffPo back in the day, um, st- stopping around 2017, and which is not even all that long ago. Um, and uh, you know, so I I want to have a place to post. I am. Like, okay, maybe we actually, we could have some fun with it and spend some time, but it's, it's, it's one of these things that we had so many people, you know, jumping out to point out, like, here are the following people did it for us, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every so often, you know, you, you have to, you have to explain it again. Um, and it, it also just bothers me the way people will use these cases. Oh, actually, they're, they're, and it's great. Well, I mean, Lorraine Alley gave me a lot of examples of things we point out in the book. And one of them is, of course, dismissal because you're conservative and, and by implying that I don't have to think about you anymore. But the other one is hypocrisy projection, um, which is, and this happens a lot with fire. Um, and it usually, it usually, it sometimes happens from both sides, usually more likely from the left, where there's a case of a lefty professor getting in trouble and someone will, I know fire won't won't help out with this case. And time and time again, we're like, we are quoted in the article you sent around that you didn't read. We're in your tweet, like, um, you know, time and time again. It's like, no, no, that, that you're that's responding to our press release. You know, you, you know, like not only are, we we were in this a month ago, like, um, but it just people just assume, and I just and I call it hypocrisy projection because it's always someone who only cares about one side of the political uh, political fence. Who just assumes, just in order to maintain their sort of, you know, superiority, everyone else is a hypocrite. It's like, no, dear, <laughs> not, 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 not everybody else. I think you're projecting a little bit, and we've seen this from the right as well. You know, occasionally when people are kind of like, "Where's fire on, on this thing?" It's like, you know, we wrote about that six months ago. Yeah. yeah. Do you see us at a kind of breaking point here? I mean, you talk about just the different iterations of this phenomenon. And um, I mean, I, I always think like, I mean, Sarah, do you realize that? I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how where you are of like how in in the 80, the late 80s into the 90s, like PC, it was a joke. It was an in-joke among the left. Would you say yeah. so, Greg? Like that's oh, kind yeah, of yeah. how if she's like so-and-so is vertically challenged. Ha, ha, ha. And it was like something, it was actually a way we, of signaling. We thought that, it was dumb. Well, we thought it was dumb, but it was actually a way of signaling that you were so, you were so PC that you were on PC. Like yeah. you were so accepting of different sorts of people that you didn't need all this kind of virtue signaling. It was like, there was, it was very layered. Yeah. And so if you, if you told like very tasteless jokes, it was actually in certain crowds, a way of signaling that you were like actually the opposite. Oh yeah. Somehow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, um, you know, like what would be now called my mo- most woke friends derisively saying, Oh yeah, like that, that thing is totally gay. Like, but, but to point out oh, yes. like that they're, that they're being ironic because, right. like, a, because an asshole would say that it do, would be basically the point. Do you feel like we're going back to that slowly? I mean, we do have people like Red Scare podcast saying yeah. everything's retarded all the time and gay also, oh. I think. Yeah. No, their whole shtick is that they are kind of reclaiming that that uh but yeah i mean do you think that we're inching our way back to something approaching sanity? i wrote an article for reason called the second great age of political correctness where my big fear is that the kind of cancel culture the kind of like complete craziness that we saw because I, I i talk about it in, in different stages something very clearly significant changed in 2014 and people in the larger world started losing their jobs for what they for their opinion on campus in particular it really accelerated in 2017 and and the stats on that are overwhelming um 2020 unbelievable I've, we've never seen anything like it that's when my, my, my friend professor mike adams killed himself like it was just unlike anything we've ever seen and when you look at the charts of that we have in the book of attempts to get professors canceled it's, it just spikes right, right around then there's no way to maintain that kind of moral fervor so, of course, it's going to start dying down. Um, I mean, they ran out of heretics to burn, you know, 50 years ago um, because viewpoint diversity is so low on campus already. That's amazing. They were able to find, you know, the thousand plus professors who have been targeted to the of cancer exactly. culture. You know, so there's no way it can be as intense as it was in 2020 and 2021. But my fear is once we get back to, you know, let's say like in, in, in 2007, the, the U.S. was a B plus for freedom of speech, um, uh, where people actually, you know, could say what they give their actual opinions and, and, and make jokes, expecting people to be adults. Um, we got down to an F minus and we're now up to like a, D plus and we're like, Oh, see, you know, we're not, we're not that bad anymore. Um, I, I do think it, it, it's not as crazy as it was a couple of years ago. Um, but on campus, things haven't really improved all that much. Um, I mean, some of the shout downs, it was just a shout down of Robbie George, like last week. They, the, the Stanford thing was just this year. Um, the Yale shout down was just the year before that. And I mean, People think, oh, yeah, no, it's always been the case that elite law school students shout down speakers who come. It's like, no, that's not normal. That, that That's not the, the way things normally go. And there have been a lot of sh- shout downs in particular just this past year. So what I'm saying is in 95, by the time, you know, PCU came out and everybody thought PC was a joke and it was <laughs> right. all all agreed, you know, that, that oh, geez. Think this is a movie, over. Sarah. Sarah doesn't get any references. Because well, um, she's, you know, she's 15. I know, she's, I know. Yeah. And Jeremy Piven in it, though. Um, and oh, and John Favreau before he saved both the Star Wars universe um, and, and the movie. This is going way above her. Well, Sarah, no, I know him Wars. as a director. I know I, yeah, I know him as a director. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was a sense that kind of like, oh, thank goodness that's over. We lost our minds and, you know, um, and uh, let's get past it. But the problem was we didn't actually change anything. And so when I started FIRE in 2001, I was already shocked at how easy it was to get in trouble for what you say on a college campus. Um, and I spent a lot of my, you know, career from 2001 to 2012 just being like, guys, it's actually much worse um, than uh, than I thought and, and then we were led to believe. Um, and then when, of course, it got, it really accelerated around 2014, it was even worse than the first grade of political correctness. So 
I'm afraid that there's like a, a, a real um, energy to kind of like, oh, let's just get past this. It's not as crazy as it was. Uh, and if, but if we don't actually make any kind of meaningful changes, um, it's just going to come back worse um, again in, in 15 minutes, possibly even next year. Why, what happened in 2014? What was the catalyst? Was it just that like there was this kind of uh, like just influx of people online and Tumblr and everything was kind of coming together? Um, in Coddling of the American Mind, the whole book is trying to figure out what was so – I mean, it's kind of like a social science detective story about – why 2014? And we talk about six different causal threads, as we call them. Um, and we added a seventh, which is basically uh, income stratification, you know, like that essentially like the, like the de desire for people to stay in the upper classes or, or not to fall that, uh, not to fall down. Um, you know, drove people a little bit extra nuts is one thing that we added to it. Um, one thing that I add is that I think that the anti-bullying, um, scare, frankly, of 2010, where there were a lot of cases that looked like they, that people thought were simple bully side narratives that actually ended up being almost all of them a little bit more complicated than that, um, led to the passage of a bunch of um, anti-bullying legislation in most uh, cities and uh, st states in the country by 2011 that started getting introduced around 2011, 2012, um, that had all the three great untruths in them. And, and, and just, you know, for, for, for your listeners, three great untruths are what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, that basically that you're fragile. Um, always trust your feelings, which is sounds nice, but it's actually awful advice. And life is a battle between good people and bad people, good people and good people and bullies. Um, and I believe that that's like the hidden, hidden reason why it was so intense in 2014. But the simplest explanation of why um it, why 2014 was social media uh, that, that essentially you know um that 20 uh, right around 2010 you have a critical mass of young people having smartphones in their pockets for the first time um and that a lot of those uh and you see like a little jump in in some of the social justice stuff in 2011 um all, all over the world actually uh that was sort of social media related but then when that population uh, who, who were kids right around then started hitting college was right around end of 2013, 2014. And this is where we are. I, I, I think, um, and I know that it, it's almost become a cliche to talk about social media, but I, I really want to focus people on it. This printing press, um, I used to study the printing press and it's devastated Europe. People talk about all the good things it did. It was like, in the short run, it led to an increase in the witch trials. It led to religious wars. It led to all sorts of craziness and bloodshed and evil um, in the short term. And because, and all it did was introduce a couple million additional people into the global conversation. Um, you know, I think you went from like 12 million Europeans reading to like 24 million. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Um, and what happened with social media is that we introduced a billion additional people into, into a global conversation. And I, I try to, for when people are looking for big solutions to the problem of social media, I'm like, no, no, there is no way to put the genie back in the bottle. This is an unavoidably anarchical, crazy period that we're currently going through. And there's no top-down solution that's just going to fix it. That's, that, that's what Henry VIII was trying to do in 1521 and 1538. Like he, he tried to put the, he tried to stop it basically, but you, you just can't. So I feel like, when you have that kind of a massive shift and, it, and it's un, you know, there's, there's no comparison to, to, to actually the world we're living in. People never had the opportunity to talk this quickly. And it revealed that you can tear down any person, any idea or in, any institution. But my hope is 
that just like the printing press over time, as we got used to um, its pluses and minuses, we were able to turn it into this tool for knowledge um, and a tool for chipping away at falsity for, for disconfirmation, you know, as, as it's called in, in fancy terms. Um, I do think that there is potentially still a massive upside to social media. It's just more in the distant, but in the meantime, it's, it's, it's anarchy. Oh, wow. Well, we only have a few minutes left, but Sarah, do you have any final questions? I had a big one, but it's too big. It's too big for the, for, yeah, for three minutes. So we can do something silly. We'll just, no, 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 we'll do, we'll do something silly. This one, for next time. With uh-huh. your next you can book. keep him, keep make be... him stay, hold him hostage. If you <laughs> no, 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 I um, but I, 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 which country would you say is better at doing, uh, at, at creating a culture of free speech? Do you know, do you know of, you know, you're talking about fixing this culture and fixing this climate. What are some actionable things that I can do, you know, that would structurally change what's going on? Um, I mean, of course, we're having conversations, and that's great, yeah. and we're changing minds. But other than that, <laughs> other than podcasts, <laughs> other yeah. than podcasts, which are the most important thing you could be yeah, doing, most, you know, absolutely, yeah. objectively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, honestly, f- uh, you know, America, uh, as they say in economics, is the cleanest, dirty shirt. You know, um, that essentially the rest of the world is doing really badly on freedom of speech. And my, mo- my mother's British. Um, what's going on in Britain with regards to some of the laws that they have passed, the fact that people are actually being arrested and have been for quite some time now for what they put on social media. That's like, true. Like to- Sorry. Is that, oh, yeah, that yeah. Is definitely true? Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, I think it was like almost 4,000 people in 2016 and that the people are still getting arrested for what they say uh, online. I don't think it's going to, it's quite at that scale, but for a while there was 3000 people a year. And then there's this big vague category of where it's been like about a hundred thousand people arrested, where some of it's probably stuff you could even get punished for in the U S but almost certainly some of it is actually also like put in jail, arrested and then in jail for a period of time, not just, wow. And and huge, huge fines. Like, no, it's, it's scary. Um, and this is happening, you know, all over the rest of the world. I think it's, you know, if we want to protect free speech, we got to defend it here first. Um, and you know, what can you actually do? I mean, the smallest thing people can do is stand up for their friends, you know, like the, when someone goes after cancel someone, someone of you that you, that you're friends with, you know, it's okay to just say, I'm friends with this person. And I, I think they're, you know, stand by them even better stand by people you don't like. Um, that that's even more impressive, but nonetheless, I'd settle for people just beginning to be like, Hey, you know, like this journalist made a, made a joke that was a little bit off color on the Twitters. Do we really give a shit? Like, do, do we, do we really want this person to lose their job now? Or, or is that dumb? Mm. And I hope more people will say, no, in fact, that's dumb. Yeah. And it's got to be normies. It can't be people like us because we're the usual suspects, right? Well, everybody gets pushed into being more like us in a weird way because I right. feel like everybody else feels like orphans. You know, as a larger and larger chunk of the population is dismissed by the right as not being right enough and on the left as not being left enough, there's this gigantic middle of us orphans of the culture war. Yeah. All right. Well, Greg, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thanks for having the me. canceling of the American mind. Uh, and you and Ricky Schlott. Is that right? Ricky Schlott? Yep. Congratulations. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again. Yep. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Thanks, Greg. All right. Well, that was a nice conversation. It was. That was nice. It went nice fast. Him. I know. I like- yeah. Well, yeah. it's good. So we have a couple of uh, things to tell the folks. 
Um, unless you want to g- get your big question out of the way. No, I don't. I don't. Him. That was my question for Greg. And I'm going to ask it like privately because it's like, mm. it's, it's a big question. It's, Maybe it's you could question. bring a secret tape. Recording. Well, you know what? I've been wanting to write about record. it. I've been could- wanting to write about it. So I, I, I want to know what his thoughts are. And if it's like just completely idiotic, then I won't write about it. Um, but I don't think it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm thinking you could like just bring bring a hidden microphone and record it and then release it for like the super, super bonus people. Mm-hmm. The founding mm-hmm. members. Maybe yeah. get like bugs. We just tap, wiretap people and they'll be able to listen to that. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can wiretap our prep conversations and then they can see what oh, we sound well, like. Oh, that's gold. And look yes. like. Yeah. yeah I would any- like to say actually though, by the way, I did, I wrote a Substack uh, piece, um, about the, the debate and about the, uh, mm-hmm. the press coverage specifically. I talked about the Lorraine Alley piece. So yeah, we'll, we'll link to that, but people can hear further of my thoughts on that. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I, I did. I mean, I, I, I wish I could be as optimistic as, as Greg, because I think that, that this is just something that, the the reason cancel culture isn't being accepted is just simply because uh, there's an incentive not to accept it. And so long as the people that are on the, uh, the, the people getting burned are on one political side, so long as it's not striking evenly, there's a political incentive for that side to pretend like it's not I happening. Mean, it's not recognized. It's not being accepted. You mean it's not being recognized? Yeah. It's not being recognized. Well, I because, know. Yeah. The, 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 cause obviously it exists, you know, and I, I know. Think it's ignore well, it because it's in their interest to ignore it. Come but on. But also you like, could say like it's a form of privilege. It is it is a form of privilege not to recognize it. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody recently who was like a public figure and this person was just like indignant that this yeah, this person had it had never occurred to them that this was something that was happening to private citizens. Like mm-hmm. their entire mentality was like, oh, all these famous people I know, they've recovered. So therefore, this doesn't exist. And it's like, well, you know, there's like regular folks who, who have been disappeared. Like they can say anything. And this their, person was like, oh. <laughs> They're being policed constantly everywhere. Yeah. And that is not how, you know, that is not how it should be. That doesn't doesn't bode well for the social fabric at no. all. Um, yeah. But um, I think that that, that, that uh, until it becomes more even we're not going to get you know uh the the elite and like people like people who are privileged why would they recognize it until it starts to hit them you know what i mean like until they until it starts to make their lives like truly miserable but it doesn't right now at the moment it's like it's really f- affects you if you have heterodox or like like right wing views then you're hit by it pretty hard at the moment but you know i i, I think that's what changed you know but greg was talking about something changed that it could be social media. I think social media was a part of it. I think another big part of it was that, um, you know, our culture making institutions became like very much dominated by one party. And it could have been either, it could have been the reverse could have been true. Like it could have been that somehow the right had captured all these institutions and we would have had the same problem. Um, uh, you know, going the other way. I mean, we definitely had, it's like, remember when the Dixie chicks were canceled because yeah, they said, I'm yeah. embarrassed to be from Texas because George yeah. W. Bush is from Texas. But it was very, yeah. that was a very interesting case because they were canceled by the country music 
mm-hmm. audience and yeah, industry for being, for being and like that was there, but that was an example of being canceled actually by their own side they were in a weird position because they were technically being canceled by their own side because they were country artists yeah um, but they were I mean, also they were kind of straddling the line because they were also pop stars and you know, very yeah, I mean, so you can, you can be, you, be can, you can be canceled by your political side. You can also be canceled by your profession. You can also be canceled by your like social class. You can, you know, I think there's yeah. multiple sides, you know, multiple dimensions that can act as censors. Um, and I think it's just, it, it, it's just that we've become far more of a monoculture, um, in some of our culture making institutions is causing yeah. a lot of these problems. And that's, I think, again, people can't get their minds around that. They say, well, look at all these Congress people, look at all these, you know, white conservative they, they white men. Yeah. It's like, this is not, I know. It's just, uh, um, you know, I think uh, it, 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 it's a failure of imagination, but it's also like just, you know, people are not like, not everybody. No, I mean, I, it's not like you, I was driving past uh, like a Catholic school, um, not in LA and another city recently. And it says all genders welcome. And it was mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah saint somebody's catholic school so if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know i don't know what does yeah Yeah. anyway all right so what do our what does our audience need to know we we've we we are going to be more consistent we've had a lot going on but we are uh truly in the saddle we're we're totally we're like revamped we have a new we are we have a new um logo which i love we liked the initial podcast cover art, which yes. looked like an old timey romance novel. So we liked that right. because it was so like, and it was on like, fire. Wink, it was, wink, bur- it was like, burning. Yeah, I, yeah. It was ironic. Yes, which is what we liked about it. But um, when you take that, you know, it worked as a it worked as a standalone piece, but it It'd just be great poster. When you start making assets around it, you know, everything that has to be pink and flowers, but then you don't get the that old-timey look anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. It yeah. just starts to, you These know... These are the things you don't think about, you know? You think about How you, yeah. This is, you learn. This is exactly... We didn't think about it. We just are... Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it shows how, how much we understand, you know, branding and business and all of that. Um, but we have, we are, we are getting better at it. And so we were like, we gotta, we gotta think of something that works, um, that, that continues to feel like us, even when it's, even when you don't see the full cover in a podcast cover yeah. art. So, um, we did something else and it's a little weird and not everyone's gonna like it. Oh, not every, you know, but. Yeah. We don't know what to do with you if that's what's happening. No. Um, and we're not going to explain ourselves. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool. It's very beautiful colors, um, that are gender neutral. Gen, that was very important to us. Mm -hmm. Um, that we, we didn't get coded in, in any one way. You're, we're internalized misogynists. Yeah. Definitely. I'm ex- I'm, a, I'm also an external. An external. Exactly. <laughs> I'm an exhibitionist. <laughs> both, yeah. uh, misogynist. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we're going to be, what are we doing? We're doing, so we're, we're going to do bonus episodes se- as separate episodes instead of yeah. tacking the bonus on to yes. the regular episode. Yeah. So if you are a paying subscriber from now on, you will no longer see like a, a you know, you, you used to see two episodes, like the, 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 the one that we, the shorter one that we sent to free subscribers and then the longer one that we sent to paying subscribers. But now everyone's going to get, uh, you know, kind of the shorter, like free episode. But if you are a paying subscriber, you will also get extra episodes, um, uh, two more a month, uh, alongside the free ones. And you will get your free episodes sooner than everybody else. So you will get to 
Here are all our hot takes before everyone else does. So the, that that is what we are we are changing up. Um, and you guys have noticed probably there's some there's been some turbulence in the past. A lot of it is just on the business end um, a little bit, but turbulence now with, we have our, our, with our program. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't we know have it's turbulence. Um, it's just been a little erratic. Mm, yeah. But we have a we have a really great team now, and they're settled and in place, and so we are ready to to get rolling. Um. So that's gonna you know you're gonna start to see more and more of that being implemented. Uh, moving forward, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't have to do anything. They just have to sit yeah. back, wait for the episodes to come in. Mm. Um. Uh, join our Substack. The comments are amazing. Our, our commenters are incredible. So that's reason enough to join. Yeah. Become a yeah. paying subscriber. Because you and you do that comment. by going to a specialplace.substack.com. We're going to have other options as well. Um, yeah. In, uh, coming up, you'll hear about it. But for now, uh, a specialplace.substack.com is the best way to get access to everything. Mm-hmm. Is there All anything, right. else? anything else? No, uh, no, no. They should ask us questions. Uh, you know, we will address your questions in the extra episodes uh, well. from time to time. Yeah. If you would like to ask us anything, any personal right. questions? Okay. No, not right. not personal questions. Maybe you. Can, I don't want to. I don't want to answer any personal questions. I will answer anything. I will answer questions about their personal lives and tell them. What oh, that's do. right. Like, oh, yeah. They were wanna... asking for advice. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. the do that's as we okay. say. We got. Yeah, yes, we're going to revive yes. that. By the way, yes. Do as we say, not as we, we know. Do. We know best, or Sarah does. I don't know anything. Well, that's why it should be titled Sarah Knows Best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> okay. All right, All everyone. Well, thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>